Luke chapter 6, verse 17. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great, cloud, a great crowd of disciples and a great multitude of people from all of Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon and who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured and all the crowd sought to touch him for power came out of him uh, and healed them all. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich. For you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. And woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. A nice light passage for the first time here. Uh, We have to jump into this thing and we have to kind of understand where it's coming from. Uh, It's so important for us to understand why this passage is here and and why it fits into this, uh, this area of Luke. We have to see that this is the first chance that Jesus has after he has called specifically the 12 disciples, the apostles, to him. This is the first time where he has actually shown these people who are on the most intense apprenticeship of their life what it looks like to serve like Jesus and live like Jesus. What are the teachings? What are the actions? What's going on? What Jesus is trying to do here right off the gate as he's invited these disciples into mission, onto mission with him, is to say, here's what to expect of being a follower of mine. That's really important because if Jesus doesn't set the goalposts up, if he doesn't kind of tell them where they're going and what to expect, the likelihood that they are going to be uh, sorely disappointed with what happens to them. And if you know the story, especially of the 11 disciples who followed Jesus to their deaths, other than, uh, other than John, they would have been so confused if they would have thought one thing and received what they received. It's really important for us to know what we are getting ourselves into. As followers of Jesus, what are we getting ourselves into? Uh, Whose lead are you going to follow? So important. We always talk about this in youth ministry. I worked uh, for about nine years in youth ministry, and we would go on these retreats. We would go on uh, missions trips. We would go on summer camps. We do all these things where we bring these kids together, and we would go to a retreat, go to a place uh, where we were just surrounded by other Christians from other churches, uh, and it would be exciting. We'd have a good speaker. You'd have good music. You'd have uh, this experience where you were just surrounded by something that you couldn't get at home. You know what I mean? Like you'd, you'd go to this place, and it was what you couldn't normally get, and so you'd be there. And these kids would be just so ecstatic that they could actually talk about Jesus with other people, that they could see how God is actually moving in other people's lives, that, that they're seeing, that they're, they're hearing the gospel every single day, morning and night. They're doing devotions together. In their cabin times, they're talking about Jesus. It, Jesus is just everywhere. And they're like, man, this, this is just the best thing ever. And you'd have these kids who gave their lives to Jesus. You'd have these these kids who would rededicate themselves and they would be so excited. And on the way home, it was just like, oh, we're so excited for Jesus. And then they'd get home and weeks and, and, and days and months would pass by and suddenly the passion and the excitement would kind of melt away. 
Suddenly they're back with their friends and their family and they're fighting with their siblings and their parents are disciplining them and stuff isn't going so well. They're, they're not living that same life that they thought they were going to for the rest of their days. It, it might be like uh, for some of you guys who were at the, the retreat last weekend, you come home and, and the first week back you have a guest preacher. This isn't what I expected being a follower of Jesus was going to be like. This is why it's so important. We, we say this in youth ministry. We say this in church. What we win people with is what we win them to. Your expectations of following Jesus for the rest of your life has to be set up very early on or you will constantly be disappointed with who Jesus actually is and what he actually promises. Amen? When Jesus comes off the mountain, we see him healing Casting out demons, all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out of him and healed them all. Jesus, through his actions and now his words as he gets into the preaching of the word, is revealing the expectations that these disciples should have. We need to see this so clearly. Because what Jesus doesn't do and what he doesn't allow is people to come to him and expect something other By that I mean, he will not allow people to use him as an add-on, a safety blanket for bad things that could happen, a prosperity gospel, a temporary blessing, or a way to fix issues, and then just get back to regular life. He's calling you to a mission. He's calling you to a new kingdom, a new king, a, a new allegiance in your life, and it matters. What you see Jesus doing in this text is what he said he was on about. Going back to Luke 4, where he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He is showing with his teaching and with his life, I do what I say and I'm, I'm going to call you to the same stuff. What you see me doing, what you see me living out is what I'm going to call you to as well. Because too often, like I said, we get into life, we get back into the regular stuff, and, and we forget what the cost was. We, we forget the cost of discipleship. We forget what we signed up for. We forget the mission. Or have we forgotten that when Jesus calls us, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, he, he bids us come and die. Not just a little thing, a life thing. Have you forgotten the cost? Have you forgotten the the great commission, the great commandment that as we see the love of the Father for us through Jesus Christ on the cross, that there's nothing else we can do but respond? That the, the depth of the love of the Father for us in Jesus Christ just compels us to now love others in the way that we've been loved. It, it compels us, like Matthew 28 says, to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Have you forgotten how much you have been called to? Whose lead are you following? Are you looking to Jesus and what he does and what he says or are you just kind of looking to get the bare minimum so that you get the life that you think you wanted? Whose lead are you following? When I was uh, at a church, there was one, uh, one person who was a really nice lady. Um, 
really liked her. She was personable, she was kind, um, she was loving, but I only saw her every, you know, three or four weeks, and I was confused. I was like, so, uh, you know, where, where are you? You know, we, we love seeing you around here, we love you being here, we love it when you're connected, when you're worshiping with us, uh, you know, when we're able to do community life with you, and she's like, oh, well, I actually, I, I go around from church to church, because uh, as a realtor, the best way to get business is to go around and get that exposure because then people know you because people want to trust you. And so if you're a Christian, they automatically trust you more. That's not the way the gospel works. Or a family who, uh, again, solid family, thought much of them, great, uh, great couple, uh, really good kids. Suddenly they just stopped showing up. They just, they just stopped showing up, and we found out later that uh, their daughter had been diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, and so they said, we cannot serve a God who would allow something like this to happen. What are you signing up for? <laughs> do you not see Jesus on the cross? Like, do, you, do you not see the depths that he has served you and, and and what are you signing up for? The, the life where you get a, a great life, success, riches, happiness, power, you're well-spoken of, because Jesus isn't going to be your ticket. You might be able to fool some people. You might be able to do some stuff to make people think something of you. But the reality at the end of the day is that is not your ticket to the life that God has called you to and the life that God has for you. The scary thing is when Jesus says, you have received your consolation in full. <sighs> Whose lead are you following? And so today, as we move into this teaching, as we move into this, uh, I, I just ask you, if you are here as a Christian today, do you know what to expect from the gospel and its implications for you? Not, not just for you, but as you share the gospel, you live out the gospel, you do the work that you have been called to. When you share that, do you know what you're sharing? Do you share the expectations that the gospel has on you or are you trying to soft sell it? Make it more palatable so that people just kind of want it and then we can dupe them and be like, actually, you have to die. <laughs> if you are here today as a non-Christian, pay attention, please, because uh, we're going to see just the, the starting of the, the kind of the foundation of what it looks like to be a follower, what it, what it looks like to be blessed by God. And so I'm hoping that for both of us, whether we're Christian or non-Christian today, uh, we would just be challenged and encouraged to respond. And this is a quote from, uh, from Philip Ryken. Um, it says this, as, as Jesus began to preach this sermon, he gave his disciples four blessings followed by a tale of woe. He was drawing a contrast between two ways of life. There are blessings that come with godliness and woes that come from worldliness. But what brings blessing or woe is almost exactly the opposite of what most people think will. How can you tell that God is blessing you? The answer Jesus gives is totally unexpected. He takes the thing that no one wants, poverty, hunger, sorrow, and persecution, and says that they have his blessing. And then he takes the things that everyone wants, money, food, entertainment, popularity, and says that these things will never satisfy Jesus thus teaches his disciples to prize what the world calls pitiable and suspect what the world thinks desirable. J.C. Ryle uh, says it this way, uh, we must take a good heed that we do not misunderstand our Lord's meaning when we read these expressions. We must not for a moment suppose that the mere fact of being poor and hungry and sorrowful and hated by man will entitle anyone to lay claim to an interest in Christ's blessings. The poverty here spoken of is a poverty accompanied by grace. The want is a want entitled by faithful adherence to Jesus. 
The afflictions are the afflictions of the gospel, and the persecution is persecution for the Son of Man's sake. So as we move into this, just being poor, just being hungry, just mourning now, or just being hated because you aren't a really nice person is not the blessing that God is calling you to achieve. It's, it's, it's not what God is looking at. And so as we walk through, I, I hope that we would look at these carefully and judge ourselves according to what Jesus is saying. So the first one, he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Interesting thing here, as we look at this, um, the disciples, these people who are trying to follow Jesus, who are looking to him uh, for guidance, they're surrounded not only by other disciples, but they're, they're surrounded by a crowd of people who are coming to Jesus, like looky-loose, who want to who be healed, who want to see what this is all about. And so Jesus is specifically talking to his disciples. And so when he says, blessed are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of God, he's talking about the literal poor. Now there's a spiritual component to this that we need to get to, but we can't gloss over the fact that Jesus is literally saying, blessed are you who are poor. (laughs) Don't over spiritualize that or under spiritualize that. Take it for what it is. The poor Christian, the presently impoverished the people in life who, who are not able to seek happiness based on what they have in their bank account. The people who are not seeking life and happiness in worldly things, who realize their dependence on God's grace daily. Yours is the kingdom. It's very important for us to understand because the, the, the woe is the exact opposite. Woe to you who are rich. Woe to you who seek your life and happiness only or primarily in material things, who do not realize their soul's need and do not acknowledge their dependence on God. It's a really easy thing for us to do this. Man, look at my bank account. Look at, my, look at my house and my car, my vacation. Look at, look at my retirement. Look at my stuff. Clearly God is blessing me. And, and Jesus is letting us know really, really quickly and very early on not to be confused. The blessing does not come from a bank account or from something that this world has to offer. The blessing is outside of this. It's other. And if we are fooled into thinking that our bank account and what we have, the prosperity, the security that we have here and now that we can hold on to, that that is God's blessing, we will miss out what he has for us. Are you seeking your life and happiness based on your bank account, your toys, your house and your retirement plan? Because if so, you will miss out on the blessing of the kingdom of God because you will be so enamored with what anyone in this world can grasp and accomplish rather than something that only comes by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Spiritual blessing in the form of the fruits of the spirit, eternal reward that is far better than anything we can ask or imagine here and now. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this in The Cost of Discipleship. Earthly goods are given to be used, not to be collected. In the wilderness, God gave Israel the manna every day, and they had no need to worry about food and drink. Indeed, if they kept any of the manna over until the next day, it went bad. In the same way, the disciple must receive his portion from God every day. If he stores it up as a permanent possession, he spoils not only the gift, but himself as well. For he sets his heart on accumulated wealth and makes it a barrier between himself and God. Where our treasure is, there is our trust, our security, our consolation, and our God. 
Hoarding is idolatry. Now, it's not just about physical wealth. It's not just about being poor because the problem with riches and, and, and everything that it has is it, it blinds us to our spiritual need. Because it brings us to the place where we know that we don't have to rely on anybody else, or at least we foolishly think that way. When in reality, we, we know when we actually look at the gospel, when we actually look at God, we know that he provides us with everything we have. Even if we don't know him, it's grace. It's common grace that God would actually give us what we need to survive. And the foolishness of it is that we think that we're okay because everything looks good on the outside. And yet it's rotting us away from the inside. When we hoard this stuff, it, it removes our eyes from the cross and our need for that forgiveness, that salvation, and, and makes us believe that everything is fine. So we cannot let off the, the gas pedal when we talk about riches. We, we can't just think that it's okay to be rich because Jesus has so much to say about money. How it is a, a stumbling block because it, it blinds us makes us forget that there is a need that is greater than the one that we can see here and now. Jesus will say a little bit later on that it's easier uh, for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle than it, for it is for a rich man to enter heaven. That's a lot of beeps. <laughs> Couldn't get even through that. <laughs> He's trying to tell us not to be deceived by our wealth and... Actually, it's, it's better to give it away than it is to think that you can earn something in this life. In 1 Timothy 6, he says this, uh, Paul says this, sorry, but godliness with contentment is great gain for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered from their faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So Paul's advice to the rich people is this, and it's us today. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Do not let your wealth become a barrier between the gospel and your heart. Don't fool yourself into thinking that what you have is because God has blessed you and he is happy with the way that you are living. Don't make that false equivalency. The question that comes from this first beatitude is what kingdom do you expect will provide for you? Do you expect that God and his kingdom is what you need and what you expect for security and for for everything that you need? Or do you look to this kingdom and your work, your life, your abilities to provide? Which one will you look to to provide? Which one will you look to for security? The second beatitude says, blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Again, we can't get away from the, the, the simplicity of the message. The woe is, woe to you who are full. It's, it's all about what actually satisfies. And so the question, what will satisfy your hunger, 
is this question that, that comes at us. Do we hunger and thirst for the things of this world to satisfy us, to provide for us? The, the lusts and the passions, the sin and the idolatry, do we feed those things because we think that they will satisfy our hungers and our thirst? Or do we hunger and thirst for Jesus, his presence and love, his grace and forgiveness? What do we hunger for? When we're hungry, what do we go to? I haven't been hungry for a long time. I, I, could, I could go for a 40-day fast and still be okay. When I've done fasts, though, it's amazing what things you think will satisfy. And, and you're, you're brought back to this place of going, is God actually the thing that I, I, I long for? Do I, do I long for the presence of Jesus in my life? Do I long to, to be with him and satisfied through scripture and through prayer? Is that, is that what gives me the, the feeling of satisfaction or am I always longing for the next lust, the, the next idol, the next sin, the next thing, the thing that never actually satisfies, but I always think that if I just have a little bit more, if I just go at it a little bit more, maybe then I'll be happy. What satisfies our hungers, both our spiritual hunger, but also our physical hunger? Are, are, we so, are we so rich and satisfied with what's in our fridge that we forget that it's God who satisfies, God who provides, God who gives us everything we need? The greatest blessing we have, I think, physically speaking, is hunger. For when we're not satisfied, we realize that we are in desperate need of something outside of us to satisfy and to fulfill us. And when God calls us to believe in Jesus as the bread of life and the spring of water that wells up to eternal life, we see our hungers and thirst being drowned by the things that come into our life that, that confuse our palates for the thing that actually satisfies. Have you learned to drink from the well of John 4? Where the woman at the well asks, what is this water that I don't have to come back day after day and look for it? Have you learned to come to Jesus the bread of life in John 6? The one that, that, that just fills your every need, that relationship that you were created for that can be satisfied in no other way. Have you learned to be in relationship with Jesus, seeing him more and more as the only thing that satisfies? The things of this world will never be enough. They will always turn to, to rot in our mouths even while we pretend that they're the best things that we could ever experience. For a period of time, we can fool ourselves, but we have to just keep running back to those wells that are empty and those things that never satisfy. The interesting thing about these, these two middle beatitudes, blessed are you who are uh, hungry and blessed are you who weep now, <laughs> is uh, th there's, there's an eschatological flip. Ah. <laughs> eschatological flip that takes place here where it's this idea that what you experience now presently will be flipped on its head in eternity. And so the idea being that when we are fed and when we are happy and when we are filled and when we are satisfied with what this world has to offer, it is the closest to heaven we will ever experience. And the converse is true. If, if right now we are not hungry for for G or sorry, if we are hungry for Jesus, if we are uh, weeping and, and, and mourning because we see our brokenness and the loss and the, the things of this world that don't satisfy, then this is the closest to hell we will ever be. There's a flip that will take place and it's so scary for us 
because we are so satisfied in our culture. So satisfied with what we have and what we can buy, what we can do. The world of weeping and pain and hunger and thirst versus this world of being satisfied completely by what it has to offer is so dangerous because I know where I fit. For those of us who are full of laughter, entertained by this world, who are full of food and good things, man, heaven doesn't look as sweet. Because what I have here and now seems pretty darn good. There is a huge blessing in being hungry. There's a huge blessing in being poor. Because we see so clearly our need for something that this world cannot offer. A fulfillment that goes beyond what we can have here and now. Which leads to the third beatitude. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Uh, three months ago, we had our, uh, our third kid. Um, Koa was born. Everything was good. Uh, we actually had, uh, so we have three kids. Um, no health issues. No issues. Uh, everything was really good uh, with all of our kids. And then Koa popped out. And a week in, um, he had bronchiolitis. And, and never having any kind of sicknesses, we didn't really know what to expect. Uh, but my wife took, uh, took our son to, uh, to the hospital because he had this cough. And, uh, and the doctor, the pediatrician said, hey, just so you know, um, kids who are two and under who have bronchiolitis are like 40% or 60% uh, likely to be in the hospital intubated because it's, it's quite serious. Um, but because your kid's a, a week old, uh, like I'm guaranteeing you, I'm 100% that you will be back in the hospital. Um, he'll be intubated. Like We've got to make sure that you don't actually let this kid out of your sight. Like, don't put him down to go do laundry. You need to listen to his breathing so that as soon as it becomes labored, as soon as it becomes, uh, you know, unable to do it himself, you have to rush him to the hospital um, so that he can be taken care of properly. But you can't bring him in now because it's not bad yet. I don't, I don't understand that. And so all night, um, I got to hold Koa uh, on the couch, and, and I got to listen to him breathing, just waiting like, okay, is, is this going to be the bat? Like, is this going to be when I need to get him to the hospital? Is this going to be it? Is this? I haven't had many experiences in, in this life where I have had to be in this, this constant state of knowing that I could be weeping any second. Do you know what I mean? Like, where, where just life just doesn't seem so good and so happy. And yet, in that period of time, as I'm sitting on the couch um, most of the night, uh, all I wanted to do was turn on Netflix and entertain myself to death. I, I didn't want to deal with life. I, I didn't, I didn't want to deal with the pain. I didn't want to deal with the reality of what's going on. I just, let me be on my phone. Let me, let me watch TV. Let me do something so I don't have to deal with the realities of this world. A few, uh, ten years ago now, my dad had passed away, and it was the same thing with cancer. Uh, I I, did, I didn't want to deal well with the loss that this world has to offer. Uh, and when I've counseled people and when I've dealt with people with, who are going through the loss of a loved one, uh, we are so bad as a culture of mourning and dealing with death, dealing with things that, that aren't good. What, what brings joy and comfort into your life? Are, are you okay with joy and not happiness? Are you happy and, and joy-filled, sorry, 
when you're comforted by the Spirit, not entertaining yourself. When we weep and when we mourn, we see the brokenness of this world with eyes that come from kingdom living, knowing that, that what is here and now is not okay. That there is something coming, the, the full uh, reality of heaven one day that will remove all weeping and, and mourning, all pain and all sin and all death. And we wait for that. And while we're here, we mourn and we weep, knowing that every single person in this world needs the same thing that we do, which is God's grace and forgiveness for our sins. Because we aren't in control. And we aren't in control of what the future has in store for us. When we, when we come into this, this world, we, we can be so fooled into thinking that everything is okay and we can fix all of our problems with medicine and with money and with stuff and with entertainment. And yet, with kingdom eyes, we see that there's only one king who will fix every right and wrong. Sorry, will right every wrong. When our neighbors lost a son uh, to an overdose, my only option is to weep for them and weep for their son because I know that they need the gospel more than anything else. They, they don't need to be made happy and reminded of, of, of what he's done or what his life looked like, although that's not bad. They need to know that their only hope is Jesus. And if all we ever do is entertain ourselves and entertain those people around us, we, we, we miss the mark of pointing them to their, their need for Jesus. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh, because in heaven there will be no more mourning, no more crying. That is a beautiful, beautiful thing. But you can't experience that if all you experience now is laughter. Make sure you you press into your weeping. Press into those things that are hurting and, 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 and coming against you. And lastly... Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you, when they revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. Simply this, who are you seeking to please? Maybe too simplistic, but that's the point. These, these questions... We're asking this morning, whose lead are you following? What kingdom will provide? What will satisfy your hungers? What will bring you joy and comfort? And who are you seeking to please are supposed to be questions that actually allow us to put ourselves on one side of the list or the other. I know where Jesus lands, and unfortunately I know where I too often land. I'm more worried about my kingdom I'm too worried about my name. I'm too worried about what people say about me. I'm too worried about actually being hungry and mourning. I don't want those things. Are you wanting to hear at the end of your days, well done, good and faithful servant? Or are you more worried about what people around you will say about you today? More than that, if you call yourself a Christian, has anyone ever hated you? excluded you, reviled you, or spurned your name as evil because you were on about the work and preaching of Jesus. Now, again, some people have hated you because you're just a bad person and, and you've done silly things. That's not the point. For Jesus' sake, for his name, when you're on about the mission this is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, suffering then is the badge of true discipleship. The disciple is not above his master. 
Discipleship means allegiance to the suffering Christ, and it is therefore not at all surprising that Christians should be called upon to suffer. In fact, it is a joy and a token of his grace. Continues later saying, the messengers of Jesus will be hated to the end of time. They will be blamed for all the division which rends cities and homes. And Jesus and his disciples will be condemned on all sides for undermining family life, for leading the nation astray. They will be called crazy fanatics and disturbers of the peace. The disciples will be sorely tempted to desert the Lord. But their end is also near, and they must hold on and persevere until it comes. Only he will be blessed who remains loyal to Jesus and his word until the end. What did you expect out of being a follower of Jesus? Did, did you see that there were some Christians who did really well in business or whose lives were all put together, whose marriages were great? Did you, did you see that and go, okay, well, if only I have Jesus, then I can have those things too and not see what Jesus is calling his disciples to be? We are a people who have been called to live out what we have been saved to. We are a people who have been called to speak out the things that have been spoken to us and that we know as truth. So 2 Corinthians 4, 13, 15 says this, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with him into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase in thanksgiving to the glory of God. We are on about the work of God because we're on about the glory of God. And he is most glorified when he is most necessary. (laughs) If your life is so tied up with this world that you have no need for Jesus, who's getting the glory? If you haven't been speaking the gospel if you haven't been sharing where the kingdom of God clashes with the kingdom of this world, if you aren't living according to the gospel and the teachings of Jesus, then of course people will be speaking well of you. And this is the hardest thing. We have to be willing to be unashamed for the gospel because it's the power of God to save and it will be a stench to those who are perishing. It will be foolishness to those who don't believe. As a preacher, this is possibly the hardest thing to, to believe and understand. I want people to hear what I say and go, wow, good job. And yet at the same time, if I'm not preaching the gospel, then everybody can say that. But I know that when I've preached the gospel and it has been offensive because it calls out our sin and our idols, our brokenness, our reliance on self, those are usually the times when people come up to me afterwards and are angry that I would preach that. How dare you? And yet if we do not preach faith alone in the death and the resurrection of Christ alone, then what are, we, what are we living for? What hope do we have? What else is there? Because at the end of the day, all of these questions come to this. One question, I think, which, which sums it up. Which kingdom and which blessing will you live for? Will you live for an eternal kingdom that you can't necessarily tangibly hold on to right now, Or will you hold on to the temporary one that you think you actually can hold on to? The one that you think you can actually earn now. Work towards. Are you working for God's or man's kingdom? 
It is such an important question for us to struggle with every single day because if we don't, we will get lulled to sleep by our riches and by our food and by our entertainment and by people speaking well of us. Blessed are you. I want to I experience that. I want to experience living in the fruits of the Spirit. I want to experience living in the blessing of Jesus now because I, I know that it is better than anything this world has to offer. The gospel message in this passage is that Jesus has found a people in us called by his grace who are poor and hungry and weeping and eternally separated from him apart from his grace. That through the cross, he has reconciled the people to himself that he would send on mission. That through our poverty, our hunger, our suffering, that we would see that people would know that Jesus is the only hope for salvation. The only kingdom worth living for, the only reign and rule that promises riches beyond compare and fullness of life here that this world cannot offer. Peace that surpasses all understanding that one day will be experienced fully in heaven when there will be no more tears, no more pain, no more sin, no more brokenness and we will leap for joy because our reward will be God for eternity. And this morning, if you're hearing this message, it's because as John 6, 44 says that no one comes to me unless the father who sent me has called them. And Jesus will raise us up in the last day. If you hear this message today, if you hear from the Savior who is calling you in your poverty, in your hunger, in your suffering, in your need, that you will be given the free gift of salvation. Come to him and receive a blessing of freedom from building your own kingdom, one that is failing and powerless and temporary and built into the kingdom of God that leads to eternal life. Jesus has died to make a way. He has been raised to prove that there is more than just this life, and that he has defeated sin and Satan and death, and he holds the keys to eternal life. There is a blessing that comes from living this way. Which kingdom and which blessing will you look to? Let's pray. Father, as we move into a time of response, of, of singing and of communion and, and of just responding, uh, would our hearts cry out that we want to be blessed by you and that we would, we would count all as lost what this world has to offer. God, that we would look at our wealth and we would say, how can I give this away? How, how can I use this for your kingdom and for your glory so that others would know about your grace and your love? How can I use what I have not to hoard and make myself comfortable, but God, how can I make people eternally comfortable because of what I have? God, in our, in our hunger, would we be reminded of how we need you every single day and that you are the one who satisfies and fulfills and gives us all of our longings. God, would we weep for this world and weep for our sins, weep for the brokenness we see so that, God, we would share the message of hope that we have in you. And God, would we be not uh, ashamed to, to speak out, to live out the gospel that we have been saved to, even when that means people will exclude us and spurn us, they will hate us on account of your name. God, would we leap for joy knowing that we have received a blessing that we cannot earn that is all by grace. So would we come to you today and would we rely on you for everything, Father? Amen.